welcome to Wind Up Weekly. I'm Matthew Gone. And I'm Katie Canfield. And we're here to share the week's news in wine. This week on Wind Up Weekly. China imposes tariffs of up to 212% on Australian wine. New lockdown restrictions in England. Inkel Freischnitt once again on the move, completing purchase of UK online retailer Slurp. Then Italy changes its dates to June 2021. And as ever, our Wine of the Week. Well, so we're just posting this uh, before end of day on Wednesday here on the west coast of the USA. Uh, so just sneaking in. Um, we've had a hectic week. But really, you know, this is kind of going to be our new day, isn't it, Matthew? We're going to start recording and releasing the pod on Wednesdays. And why is that? Traditionally, we've always done it on a Sunday to be released on Monday, beginning the week with last week's news. But we just felt it's better to have it in the middle of the week, just kind of catching up with what happened last week, and also what's been happening at the beginning of the week. And so it's still a weekly roundup with a bit more to play with and to discuss, I think. Yes, and let's not forget, it's Wine Wednesday, right? So we can add that hashtag to our posts. Got to do those hashtags on Instagram. Well, and so as I said, it was a busy week. Um, we had a blind tasting last Monday. So not just a busy week, but a busy couple of weeks. Um, and... We had, yeah, a very interesting tasting with a friend of ours, uh, Sam Cole Johnson, uh, who writes for JancisRobinson.com. She's doing an internship at Staglin uh, here in the Napa Valley. Uh, So we came over from Petaluma. We met in Sonoma halfway point and tasted through some really interesting wines. Yes, we had one white and two reds. And the theme was that they're from the same country, uh, but different grape varieties, which didn't actually turn out to be the case. Uh, so we got the wines from Bagroom Wines in Napa, very good choices, uh, but they didn't quite follow the stipulations to the letter. But very good wines, as we said, and we just kept jumping around from Spain to Italy and back to Spain and back to Italy again, just couldn't quite figure it out. The white was very acidic, very fresh, a little bit of nuttiness to it. And then the two reds have this really nice uh, kind of old world, old school feel. So what were they, Katie? Well... Number one, the white was uh, Cortesi, so Gavi de Gavi, and that was one that I had just been recently studying in my Italian wine scholar course. I will take the exam in the next couple of weeks, so I know I've been talking about that for quite some time, but it is coming to an end. Um, So yeah, really nice to taste that wine after reading all about it. And the two reds uh, were Sangiovese-based. So we had a Chianti Classico as well as a Vino Nobile di Montepulciano. And I thought that, well, all three wines were very good, but the Vino Nobile di Montepulciano, just another Italian mouthful of wine as well as words and syllables, um, was exceptional. It just shows that, although it's not as famous as nearby Brunello di Montepulciano, it can still be exceptionally good. And better value as well, or at least coming in at less expensive prices. But one of the real fun things was when the wines were revealed, we also found the, the corks, and one of them said TCA free cork is the only information on the cork, and that was the Gavi. And I thought that's a very um, interesting way when opening a wine to see that information. Well, I wasn't even convinced that it was actual cork, really. So it's kind of a positive thing to open a wine and it says TCA free, but it does give you negative connotations and makes you start worrying about TCA and other wines that don't say that. Uh, but I thought it was an unusual way of presenting uh, the cork. Yes, very interesting marketing technique indeed. 
And then our week went on to Thanksgiving, which uh, here in the U.S. is a very important holiday. Uh, however, looked very different this year. And, um, you know, Matthew and I, we really didn't celebrate at all, did we? We, on the day, had a, a nice toast with some champagne with my sister, uh, socially distanced, of course. Uh, and then on the day, it was just you and I, and we had um, a very different Thanksgiving meal. Usually there's some turkey on the table, uh, not this year. Uh, we had a lovely polenta with some wild mushroom that you prepared for us, and we paired that with uh, the Chateau de Moulin-Avant, Couvent de Toran. That's Gamay, 100%, from that northern crew in Beaujolais. Absolutely fantastic. Thanksgiving is not complete without Beaujolais, I think, just because it goes with so much of the different foods that are served on Thanksgiving, even when we come up with something a bit more unusual. Yes, and then the Friday, uh, we continued on the no turkey and had a really nice crab feast. So a friend of mine, uh, she caught 10 crab off the coast of California, and we enjoyed them uh, immensely over the day with, uh, I think we had four gadeos in front of us, uh, and we are very excited because we're going to do a sort of special feature here pretty soon. Uh, where we recorded some of the highlights from that tasting. Four very high quality wines and showcasing the range of styles and quality of Gadeo, which is a grape from Galicia, and all four wines were um, Galician. So we're going to do a little, little spotlight on Gadeo and just see what's coming out because it's a grape that not that many people have heard of, but which I think it's going to get more and more attention as the quality becomes clear. All right, so enough food and wine chat. Now on with the news. <laughs> Pod has reported in recent months on investigations by Chinese authorities into the alleged dumping of bulk wine by Australian wineries into the country. China has alleged that Australian producers were dumping wine in order to keep prices low. Producers denied the claims, and some have completed detailed questionnaires which were described as intrusive, but it would seem to no avail, as this week China announced it would be imposing tariffs of between 107 and 212% on Australian wine. Although the tariffs were described as temporary, there is no fixed date to their end. And this is a huge blow to the Australian wine industry, as 37% of its exports go to China, where it has successfully built a presence in an emerging market. After shares in Treasury wine estates fell by 11.25% and caused the company to suspend trading in its shares, the Australian government and wine industry reacted angrily. Trade Minister Simon Birmingham said, This is a devastating blow to those businesses who trade with China in the wine industry. It will render unviable for many businesses their wine trade with China. And clearly, we think it's unjustified and without evidence to back it up. Australia defends to the hilt our winemakers, their integrity, and the commercial market-based proposition and environment in which they operate. The idea that Australia somehow subsidizes our wine industry for it to be able to dump or sell its product below cost on international markets is a falsehood, end quote. So this comes in the middle of a trade war between China and Australia, which has seen tankers of coal and wine stranded at sea waiting for permission to dock and unload. Barley has also seen tariffs imposed. Australia just has a few days left to appeal the decision, as they feel it violates their trade agreement with China, as well as World Trade Organization rules. So this 
situation is obviously part of a much bigger picture. China, in their typical kind of protectionist fashion, looking at Australia as a, a threat almost, and really sort of puffing up its feathers and and trying to put Australia in its place. Yes, and we've kept on talking about tariffs on the pod because the situation keeps coming up in this kind of global atmosphere. And this isn't just about wine, even though wine is getting caught up in the in the crossfire. This is about all sorts of different tariffs on different products and an uncomfortable relationship between China and, Austra- and Australia, which has um, really changed over the last couple of years because Australia were trying very hard to get China as a market and to really build a relationship with China. But that has changed. Yeah, some of the other grievances that China holds against Australia and the reason behind kind of these tariffs on all of these products, which include not only wine, but barley, sugar, timber, lobsters, and copper, relates to charges that China holds against Australia, uh, which include speaking out against Chinese activities in the South China Sea, excluding Huawei from 5G telecom networks, and calling for an independent inquiry into the origins of COVID-19, just to mention a few. Well, Australia, like um, quite a few other countries, has had a fairly right-wing prime minister and um, government, which isn't afraid to speak their mind. And so China do feel that this uh, kind of populism of the Australian prime minister, Scott Morrison, is kind of based in racism against China. And so they do feel... um, aggrieved by um, Australia's attitude, and they responded in quite um, some fashion because this is really going to hurt sectors of the Australian economy. And it just follows the tradition of China acting uh, very uh, protectively when they are threatened. More news on this front to follow next week. The month-long lockdown imposed across England in November came to an end this week, with new rules introduced on 2nd December. As before the lockdown, there are three tiers applied to regions according to the prevalence of COVID-19. The new restrictions have been met with controversy, as some towns have found themselves in a stricter tier than before the lockdown, causing the question to be asked how how could they be in a worse situation than before a month of tight restrictions and closures. For the hospitality industry, at a time when sales are usually at their highest, the end of the lockdown is welcome news as those regions in tier 2 are allowed to see outdoor dining and limited indoor dining although alcohol can only be served with food. However, big cities such as Manchester, Birmingham and Sheffield remain in Tier 3, which means that pubs remain closed. And even for those regions in Tier 2, it's impossible for pubs to remain open unless they serve food. Although the 10pm curfew has been removed, and Prime Minister Boris Johnson announced £1,000 one-off payments to pubs which do not serve food in the top two tiers of restrictions. And then also this week we had the news that Wales had banned pubs from and from selling alcohol at all, which takes away the complete point of the of a pub. And so that's also been met with uh, controversy. And just to give an example of how um, all these curfews and restrictions are affecting the drinks industry, pub group Fuller's announced a £22 million loss in the first half of 2020 and had to cut 20% of its workforce. Moving away from England, in Hong Kong, all bars and entertainment venues were closed as 187 new cases were connected to a dance club. Restaurants, however, remain open with 50% capacity and limited to four people per table. The decision received some criticism as it was seen to unfairly target bars and is also made without warning. At the same time, the hospitality industry in Hong Kong has been working with the government on implementing a tracing scheme called Leave Home Safe, 
Although not compulsory for guests to use, restaurants must have a QR code for customers to use in order to trace their whereabouts and reduce the spread of virus. And so it goes, and we continue the ups and downs of these restrictions being imposed and lifted in a related topic, um, you know, abiding by restrictions elsewhere in the world. There's been continued controversy in California as politicians dine at the French Laundry, Thomas Keller's three Michelin star restaurant in Yontville, in the heart of the Napa Valley. So I loved this intro to the story in The Guardian that we read. The French Laundry has been awarded three stars by Michelin, showered with the loftiest food and wine awards, and deemed the best restaurant in the world, period, by Anthony Bourdain. But Thomas Keller's storied eatery now has a new claim to fame. It's the place where California politicians go to break their own coronavirus guidelines. That's just good journalism right there. News came out that Governor of California Gavin Newsom dined last month at the esteemed restaurant, and later the mayor of San Francisco decided to follow suit, just one night after, apparently, finding solace in fine dining, so it seems. And within the guidelines, as indoor dining at the time was allowed, but since then, California and Napa County have tightened up restrictions due to the massive spike in coronavirus cases throughout the state. So this brings the quote, let them eat cake, to my mind, but perhaps I'm being a bit harsh. Politically, this doesn't seem very clever, because as regular people can't travel too much and the, the access to dining and bars is restricted, then you have politicians going to one of the most expensive restaurants in the world and um, dining out, even if, even if it is, even if it was legal at the time, it still doesn't seem very sensible to be doing that behaving like that in public and politicians in other countries have behaved in the same way and I think there's got to be more of an example set by them. Well they're certainly facing a lot of backlash and I and I think some apologies have been issued so maybe they'll think twice before dining in style like that again in the near future. Not to say that we shouldn't support the on trade and you know I think we feel that way certainly but But as you say, as political figures, they're meant to set an example. Henkel Freshnet, leading producer of sparkling wine in addition to a diverse range of wines and spirits, exporting brands to more than 150 countries, has bought out its remaining stake of 39% in Slurp, a UK online wine retailer that has excelled this past year during lockdown. The first stake in the company of 61%, was purchased in November 2017. Henkel Freischnet CEO Dr. Andreas Brokemper looks forward to major growth with Slurp and is willing to put the dollars behind it. And so what will that growth look like? Perhaps growing the team, adding new products, and also premiumization as well. So an exciting venture for these two companies. It was so fun to read this article in the drinks business because it makes mention of a dear friend of ours, Aaron Smith, Uh, We were in the Wine Business Master's program together in Dijon, and she's been since been living in the UK. Before joining Slurp as Digital Marketing Director, uh, she was at Majestic, leading the charge in the transformation of their digital marketing space and strategy. And it looks like she's well positioned to do the same at Slurp. The original controlling stake in Slurp was bought by Henkel's Copestick Murray, and since then, in 2018, Henkel merged with with Freshnet, and now here they are again, investing in online retail, which surely shouldn't be seen as a bad business decision nowadays. 
Now, Henkel and Freischnitt haven't got to where they are today by making bad business decisions. And so this one makes sense getting involved in the retail business, but more importantly, the online retail business. And just to give some context, Henkel and Freischnitt are two massive sparkling wine producers who, who emerged two years ago. Henkel making Sect in Germany, Freischnitt Cava in Spain. And so them coming together really created a really um, huge business empire, which is allowing them to expand and invest even further. As the pod reported last week, one of the many questions facing the drinks industry in 2021 is how events are going to be held. 2020 saw the cancellation of most events, which are a mainstay of sales and communication. So the question is, will 2021 be a repeat with online virtual events, or will we be able to attend in person? This week, Saga in Italy announced that it is postponing its annual and extremely large gathering from April to June to allow extended preparation time and international guests to attend. The new timing is also attended to coincide with other international events, which visitors can attend at the same time without going back and forth. And Vanilli takes place in Verona and will start the day after the Opera Wine event occurs on the 19th of June. Well, this continues the news that the pod's been reporting on, the rearrangement of many of these international wine events, which is so important to the industry. Uh, We reported on Provine, for instance, and uh, it looks like Vinitaly is still confident that they can go ahead next year, just giving themselves a bit more time uh, to wait until June. Of course, we've um, seen the news of the vaccine beginning to roll out. Uh, the UK reported that next week the, f- the vaccine would be available for the first time. We're going to see how positive that news is and how realistic it is. But if it does become widely available and successful, then maybe 2021 trade events and large gatherings will um, happen but still they're going to be very difficult to plan for because of um, the short time involved. And now for our wine of the week, which is Katie. This is an exciting one. Digby Brut Non-Vintage from England. Yes, English sparkling wine. It's all the rage. In the last 20 years, it's been transformed completely to become very successful and very popular and very highly regarded. And you actually spoke to the team at Digby this week, didn't you? Yes, I spoke to um, the CEO, Trevor Clough, and um, on, virtually, of course, I didn't go to England to speak to him. We did um, a Zoom chat while uh, drinking this wine, which was a lot of fun. And um, they, they produced sparkling wine uh, in the south of England. And they were actually inspired by a trip to the West Coast here in the US over 10 years ago when Trevor Clough and his husband, Jason, decided to start their own label in the south of England, just inspired by the gung-ho spirit of US wineries and also even distilleries, that they just want to open, get things done, don't adhere to tradition or what was done in the past, and just um, do new things, but good things, and also luxury as well, high quality. So the producer is called Digby Fine English, and named after a local 18th century dignitary. And it's quite an unusual label because rather than owning vineyards, as is the case with most English producers, the grapes are bought from across four English counties, almost like a negociant in Champagne, blending together different high-quality sites. And they made that decision after seeking advice from California sparkling wine producers who told them buying fruit would ensure consistency. Advice well taken, I think, Katie. Indeed, I love this wine. 
and you blind tasted me on this last week. You left a glass for me, I tasted it, you were out of the house, and you came back, and you asked me what it was, and I had concluded that it tasted like champagne, but it was not champagne. So I think I might have hit the nail right on the head. You can't argue with that conclusion, no. But what makes it so good, do you think? What do you really like about it? The searing acidity, uh, accompanied by that really kind of toasty brioche, um, all those lovely sort of pastry notes that you get from a, a fine champagne. And again, just that mouth-watering acidity, really aromatic and just very drinkable. Yeah, and if you're interested in more about this wine and this producer, my interview with Trevor Clough is on my wine club site. You can actually watch the video, Blackpool Mats Wine Club, and it is going to be on my podcast as well, Matthew's World of Wine and Drinks. So different ways to either view or to listen to the interview. A good insight into English sparkling wine, which maybe isn't as well known or well understood as it will be in the next 10 years. Cheers to that. So thank you for listening. I hope you'll join us next week. Remember on Wednesday now, look for us in your feed. And we hope that you'll rate and review us. Uh, please, you know, send your comments. We really want to make this enticing for our listeners, for you. So please just let us know how you feel. What are we doing right? What are we doing wrong? And uh, please share with your friends if you do enjoy listening. We're now here to add to your Wine Wednesday. Cheerio. Cheerio.